Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome, I'm your host, Tony D'Urso. We interview world-class influencers, celebrities, and elite entrepreneurs. And I thank you for joining us. We broadcast every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America's Influencers Channel. And you can listen to all our shows on your Android or Apple device. Go to TonyDurso.com slash mobile and get the app. TonyDurso.com slash mobile. Today's show is with Brad Dude and Eric McGarity, leader and globe runner. All right. Here's some info on Brad Dude. Brad worked with NASA, Westinghouse, the Department of Interior and Energy, and others over a 40-year span. He wrote six books on leadership. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you, Tony. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. The honor is mine, especially with, for someone with such an important topic as leadership, which is so sorely needed. The more and more I see what's going on, the more the more people like you we need. So let's really give this some real good power and inform and educate people all that you can do. I just really want to help a lot of people with this. And perhaps the first things first, let's tell people how it all started for you. What's your backstory and what makes you the expert you are today in leadership? Well, I don't like to use the term expert to start with. I think experts are people that uh, you know can't learn anything else. And that's not me. I'm constantly learning about the topic of leadership uh, with every workshop I lead and every participant that uh, has uh, some ideas about their own uh, personal leadership. My background is I got into management through uh, working overseas with the Peace Corps uh, in my 20s and uh, was put into different kinds of uh, positions, uh, running programs. Uh, I was an associate director with Peace Corps in uh, Micronesia and and down in Samoa in the uh, South Pacific, before I became deputy director in the Central Pacific Islands, nations of Micronesia. So I spent a lot of time uh, leading a a variety of cultures, a lot of different kinds of groups, including American Peace Corps volunteers who would uh, come out for training. I did a lot of teacher training uh, as well. After that time, I got involved with Westinghouse and became a technical director for um, Westinghouse and managed projects, uh, international projects kind of all over the world. So leadership really became an important aspect of, of what I did and the success of our projects, I thought, was very much influenced by the leadership that uh, either I pr- provided or I didn't provide that I learned I should have. So leadership was very important. And then I got involved with the doing leadership training, actually, for, oh, customers like the U.S. Navy, uh, Naval Surface Warfare Center, and, uh, and now uh, at NASA the last 10 years or so. Goddard Space Flight Center doing leadership training. And along the way, I got involved with uh, personal temperament and how that influences leadership uh, and ultimately got to more recently wrote this latest book on, uh, on leadership called Quick, I Need to Be a Leader in 30 Days. Wow, that's a lot that you've done and a lot to talk about. Very, very interesting here. I want definitely want to ask you about NASA and how leadership is important there. But as you just mentioned the title of your book, I'd like to know something. What made you come up with your title, as you just called it? The book is called Quick, 
I needed to be a leader in in 30 days. And more importantly, and I'm not trying to be silly or sarcastic, really, you can take someone from zero to hero in 30 days? Yeah, it sounds amazing, but it's uh, actually true. Now, we're not saying that that's all you need to do in 30 days, but it's a a quick start. And what we found was that uh, colleagues of mine, through our experience with a number of, of variety of clients, both private sector and governmental clients, we found that a lot of people are promoted because of their technical expertise. They can be a great engineer and have all the degrees that you'd think of for uh, to being an electrical engineer, for an example. And all of a sudden, they're assigned to be a manager or a team leader, and they find that they have no experience at all leading others. And what happens is they oftentimes result uh, rely back on their technical skills which makes them micromanagers and ticks everybody off. And so this book was an attempt to say, gee, we recognize that you've got a lot of technical skills, but when you're promoted into this leadership position, there are going to be some skills you haven't worked on in the past, perhaps, and you need to have a real jolt to help you uh, get on board and get on the right, uh, right track. You know, that's something I've never really thought of. And that's really interesting and so, so true. You know, I've been in corporate for many years and I have my own point of view on what's going on, but you're current in it, you're living it, and you're seeing how this is happening, especially if I may say the more younger, less experienced people that now this is one of their first. Tony, let me build on (laughs) your, your thoughts about young people today. And, you know, the statistics are incredible. There's about 50 million millennials in the workforce in North America alone today. And about 2 million of them are in management positions. 2 million new ones go into leadership or management positions each year. And that's pretty significant because the numbers show that about 60% of them fail in their first years to be successful. And that's by the their own measurement of success or by their own company's measures of success. So that's pretty frightening. Uh, What I'm trying to do with my book and uh, course training courses is to help build that success during the first year that these folks are in in management or leadership positions. That is really needed. You are a godsend to these people that need that all of a sudden they're in management. In fact, I know people don't want to be in management, have had it up to here with it, are tired of being told off or things going wrong. And if you say, how about being a supervisor or a manager, they'll turn white, you know, they'll, they'll get diaphoretic, whatever. It's like, they don't want to touch it. Now, so we have that group of people that have had bad issues with it. And then we also have that group of people never really been into it, but perhaps they don't like their boss. They don't like how they see other bosses because your first experience in the work of the world, let's face it, somebody is your boss, unless you're an entrepreneur, someone's in charge of you. And if the person doesn't like that, how do you help that person change, adjust, transform into being a good leader and separating from the bad examples that they've seen? Yeah, it's a real challenge. You know, in our workshops, we say that, you know, artists have their easels, engineers have their computers, leaders have self-awareness. That's their tool. And so we focus a lot on self-awareness in our 30-day course. If you don't know yourself what you're bringing to the party, it's real difficult to get away from micromanaging. You fall back on this technical skills that you had, but you know, 
every day leaders lose their technical edge because they're just out of the loop. They're not doing it anymore. They're watching other people do it. And so they all of a sudden are frustrated and upset because they don't know what to do because they can't do the technical work anymore unless they're looking over somebody's shoulder and they don't know what leadership kinds of tasks that need to be done. So I recognize it. In fact, I wrote a book called uh, 40 Tips for Figuring Out Your Boss to help people recognize what's going on with their bosses from the temperament side. So if you have a boss who's very traditional and uh, likes to plan and, and buy, buy the book, they're the ones that you have a real challenge dealing with because they don't want to accept change very easily. Their job is to protect that organization, protect the way things are. And if you're young, innovative, creative, uh, it's very difficult for you. We find this especially with some of our participants in government who are of the what we call the fire temperament, those who are really like to uh, problem solve and try to do things differently and have a lot of fun while they're doing it. Government sometimes just kills these folks off because things are so slow to change. There's so much bureaucracy, so many meetings that just drives them insane. Very interesting. And you know, talking about this brings me way back when I first started in the corporate world. Back then, it's so different. It's almost 180 degrees, the opposite, if not close to that. Back then, you couldn't go get a soda because you're unworking. You couldn't say something personal to someone without fear of repercussion. I've been sent to the equivalent of HR back then for just saying, hey, some, you know, not even 30 seconds talking to someone in the hallway. You couldn't do this back then. This was the corporate world. This is how mm-hmm. managers managed back then. Today, it seems to me, and you're going to correct it more about feelings and how the employees are, and you've got to be very careful, even if there's something really wrong, you've got to, there's special ways to encourage that employee you have meetings, you have group meetings, and so forth. It's such a big difference. How do you deal with leadership today? Because the whole playing field, I don't know this world anymore in terms of corporate America and its structure like you do. Yeah, well, it's changing all the time. And my participants are typically young folks, like at NASA, for an example. I would say the average age of uh, somebody going through my leadership class there is about 30 to 35 some a little older, some a little younger. But NASA, you know, has been identified as uh, and voted like the number one government agency the last five, six, seven, eight years to work in. And they complain uh, about bureaucracy and uh, meetings after meetings and very frustrated by leadership. So if that's the best place to work in government, can you imagine all the other places uh, that people are working as, uh, as leaders and the challenges that they face? So it's a it's a real challenge, no question about it. Plus, you add the whole issue about diversity and dealing with introverts and versus extroverts and dealing with young women, especially. We have a lot. In fact, most of our participants are now women at uh, NASA, for an example. And here, a, a young woman uh, with you know degrees out the yin yang, and they are now uh, without much management experience, but they're put into leadership positions. And they've got to deal with older scientists who've been at the bench for, for years and years and years. And how, th- how do they communicate with them without uh, was still showing respect, but trying to get the job done? So you are right. It's a real uh, lively environment for leadership today. 
Very good points. And we're going to throw in something else in the mix. You mentioned this earlier. I'm going to bring it back and talk more about it. You talked about and you mentioned personal temperament. How big of an issue is this today, Brad? Uh, I think temperament is uh, very important. I mean, I've written four or five books on the subject. You know, it's, it's something that we take for granted and it also is kind of gets us in trouble. You know, temperament is that ability. Of, it's how we see the world and how we react to what we see and hear uh, and read in the world around us. And we call that our dominant temperament. And there's a lot of different, there's over 500 different methodologies uh, about it. The one I use called the basic elements of temperament that uh, my late co-author Jim Harden and I developed based, all goes all the way back to thousands of years to Hippocrates, who was a keen observer of human behavior. And he did it from a medical perspective. You know, he's the father of medicine, Hippocratic Oath and all that. But today we look at those four basic elements uh, we call them to find them to make them easier to remember: earth, air, fire, and water. Each one representing a, a, character, a continuum of behaviors. And our dominant temperament, kind of what makes us tick, how we view the world, versus what we call our shadow temperament, uh, which uh, oftentimes gets us into trouble. It's those behaviors that are least like us, least how we want to be viewed by others. And even though it's within us and we are all four temperaments are in us, that shadow temperament is often the one that causes us to, to judge other people, to be biased, to associate blame with groups of people, people we don't like. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with Brad Dude and Eric McGarrity, leader and globe runner. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. Hey guys, I found this great podcast that really complements what I do. It's Flip My Funnel. That's one word. You know, sales and marketing leaders, they have to connect with real people, actual human beings. Now, more than ever... Well, the founder, Sangram, he's a great entrepreneur, chief evangelist, and founder of the Flip My Funnel movement. You'll find a mix of interviews with B2B sales and marketing leaders who are very dedicated to help you become a master of your craft. Imagine that, humanizing B2B marketing and sales. I like that. Check it out and let me know what you think. Search for Flip My Funnel as one word. Wherever you listen to podcasts, I searched Apple Podcasts, a.k.a. iTunes, and I also subscribed. I think you should, too. Also, Flip My Funnel is a supporter of the Tony D'Urso Show, and that's way cool. Join me and listen to Sangram on Flip My Funnel wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much. You heard that a majority of businesses fail. Don't be a statistic. Get my book free, The Vision Map. Beat the odds for your business success. Get it free at TonyDurso.com slash vision. And set up your own successful vision map. TonyDurso.com 
slash vision. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyDierso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. Today's show is with Brad Dude and Eric McGarrity, leader and globe runner. Brad holds a journalism degree from Northern Illinois University, and he serves as a coordinator for government employees throughout Micronesia and Polynesia on a leadership training course. All right, and now back to the chat with Brad. Temperament has been in the news lately because President Trump, people talk about his temperament and uh, how temperament influences our behavior, and that's uh, very true. So we spend a lot of time in our leadership classes on temperament and uh, and do a whole day uh, workshop on temperament to try to make our leaders self-aware of what makes them tick and what ticks them off, which is a title of one of our books. Thank you so much for sharing all that. Very interesting. It just makes me think of all the times I've been yelled at by my boss. Back then, you could get yelled at. And I think today, you know, it's a lawsuit and you wind up owning the company or something. But back then, bosses could yell and you didn't want to get your boss mad. And you had to really watch what you did and how you did. It was all about not making the boss mad or all about making the boss happy. It was it was so strong back then. It, yep. Is that still the kind of a case today? Because today I think people, you know, with the rights and how pushy the employees are in terms of they've got rights, you can't talk to an employee that way that you used to. How is that culture today? Yeah, I think it has changed. I think, uh, though, even managers who I feel are not great managers uh, or leaders uh, they mean well. You know, for an example, we, we talk about it in our temperament class, you know, how many of you have a boss that says, I treat my people the way I want to be treated? And what's wrong with that? And it's kind of like the golden rule. Well, after our course, we kind of talk about more of the what we call the platinum rule, which is with our new awareness that we have people in our in our teams and in our organizations who look at the world differently than we do from their different, these four different temperaments. And so the platinum rule would say to treat people the way they want to be treated by acknowledging differences between us. And I think a new, uh, an effective supervisor or leader or manager will take that into consideration when he or she is out kind of doing leadership kinds of things. I got you. Brad, I'm curious, what kind of successes do you have in terms of do students from your classes and reading your books, do they come to you later, a year, two years, or whatever later, and tell you the successes that they've had with your leadership programs? Uh, We do. Uh, In fact, an interesting uh, story, I thought, one of our courses, in fact, it wasn't my course, it was my uh, 
my co-author Jim Harden's course. He was talking about, in the temperament course, talking about, and it was a leadership course with the, a module on temperament. And so he said that after going through kind of the shadow temperament idea that it gets us in trouble, a lady said, participant said at the break, hey, I got to go home and talk to my daughters. And Jim said, well, the class isn't over, but what? She said, no, no, this is what I've learned. She said, I've got twin daughters and my one daughter has been perfect her whole life. Everything she does has been perfect. And I've given her credit for everything. And she's just the perfect child. But my other child was just the opposite. And she has been nothing but trouble. And uh, I have tried to, you know, help her be a better little girl. But now I understand what was going on, that my first daughter, who I thought was perfect, has my same temperament, my dominant temperament. We look at the world the same way. And so we agree on most everything. And my second daughter was my shadow temperament, my least preference of the four behaviors. And everything she did bothered me because it was my shadow I was seeing. And I reacted negatively to it. And I judged her on that. And I did leave the class down and go home and apologize to my daughter. That's a true story. Isn't that amazing? That is very amazing. Yeah. And in the old days, the boss would have said, no way you're leaving. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Little joke. Well, this, yeah, this was a training workshop, so we're a little bit more flexible than that. But I think That's you're right. right. Yeah. I like that. That's good. Now, Brad, you've been all around the world. You've been to, mm-hmm. you know, 35 countries and plus. You've seen yeah. so many leadership styles. I'd like to know, does this impact what you do and how you do it in the U.S.? And can you tell us the differences and how that perhaps changes or modifies what you teach here on your classes? You know, the leadership styles, what I found uh, mostly, I would say, is that I've worked mostly in developing countries. So these are, are bureaucracies, governments just trying to get started, or a new political party comes in and new new heads of agencies and things like that. And what I've find in general is that they are very kind of old style, traditional, hey, I'm the boss, you do what I say. And part of it, I think, is because they were treated as peons, if you will, by the previous administration. And now they feel, well, it's my turn to be at the top. It's my turn to get the perks of being the big boss. And they struggle with our concepts of trying to understand your employees and the role of management today is actually not so much to direct others, but it's to remove obstacles in front of your employees so they can get the job done. That's the real job of a leader today. And it takes it takes a while. Now, others I find, uh, recently I've, I've been doing a lot of work out in the Pacific and did our temperament workshop and leadership works out, workshops out there as well. And it's much more uh, open and receptive because I think it's more culturally on a small island, you know, it's kind of a non-confrontive kind of society. You can't, when you live on a small island with 500 other people, you can't be ticking people off all the time. So you are non-confrontational in, uh, in dealing with others. So in effect, it's sometimes harder for them to kind of be the quote, the boss, especially if there are there's a lot of relatives. And so in government, in small Pacific Island nations, there are relatives that, that are on 
in government, for an example, or even private sector, whose bosses are relatives. And so that's another whole cultural dynamic on leadership. So it just adds another you know, issue to discuss when we're out there. Coming back here to the States, these become examples for, uh, our, for more American-type leadership classes, uh, which people find very interesting. And uh, then that, that kind of generates issues of their own, of how they deal with relatives or how they deal with people who have been their mentors and now all of a sudden are a colleague and all of a sudden they're the, quote, boss of their colleague. So uh, there are similarities, but also a lot of differences in uh, culturally on, on, on leadership around the world. Those are some good points, Brad. Thanks for sharing it. It adjusts and modifies the way we think of leadership and how it is around the world, how it is in the U.S., kind of opens us up to things. And I encourage everyone, if I have it right, your website is braddude.com. That's B-R-A-D-D-U-D-E.com. And your books are there. And everyone in the audience, you can pick up his leadership books, including Quick, I Need to Be a Leader in 30 Days. And Brad, if someone wants to contact you, can reach you through this website? They sure can. Uh, my email is on there as well. Uh, we also have another website, uh, website that goes with the book. It's uh, the quickleadershipgroup.com as well to get a little bit more focused on leadership. All right. That's quickleadershipgroup.com. Are they linked together? If someone goes to braddude.com, can they get yes, to this? They sure are. Well, great. So there you go to our audience. Any way you try, you can check this out. Brad has written these books and developed this workshop and courses from a lot of experience, a lot of traveling, a lot of study. And, you know, for someone that works for and has advised and done classes in the large government offices, I think that really is a testament to how professional your classes are and to the material itself. I mean, this is quite powerful. You've worked for NASA, the Navy, Westinghouse, Department of Interior, Department of Energy and so forth. That's incredible. Yeah, I've, I've been very lucky. I've had a lot of great clients uh, through the years and, uh, you know, continue to look for more. I really enjoy uh, helping organizations, uh, you know, become more effective leaders. Well, sounds great. Brad, thank you so much for a very insightful interview. And when you have another update, you're welcome to please come back and we'll update what we talk about on leadership and so forth. It was great. Thank you so much. Tony, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with Eric McGarrity. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. Change starts here. Change starts now. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. The Tony D'Urso Show is brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with over 24,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. You can take classes in social media, marketing, data science, web development, you name it, they've got it. Skillshare is there to help you learn and thrive. I want to learn how to better engage with you, my audience, and provide you what you want. The Skillshare classes can help me with that. Come on and join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for you, my listener. Get two months of Skillshare 
for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering the Tony D'Urso Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 24,000 classes for just 99 cents. Go to Skillshare.com slash Tony D. Again, Skillshare.com slash T-O-N-Y. D is in David. Skillshare.com slash Tony D. And start your two months free now. Hey, check out my other great interviews at TonyDURSO.com or using your Android or iPhone, get the app at TonyDURSO.com slash mobile. That's TonyDURSO.com or slash mobile for the app. Thanks. There's a new force to be reckoned with in talk radio. It's not just talk radio. Hosted by LaTanya Jr. and co-host Tina Wynn and Tony Brown. Not Just Talk Radio is like a superhero. Inspiring, problem-solving, and informing. Packed with action-provoking conversations from news, movements, and social and politics issues. This program is about a wide range of voices and fresh points of view from experts, celebrities, and you, the listener. Not Just Talk Radio is broadcast live Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Hear the stories. Be motivated. Be inspired. Join us today. Voice America Influencers. You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show. This segment of today's show is with Eric McGarity. Eric is founder and CEO of Globerunner. It's a digital marketing agency in Dallas, Texas. His entrepreneurial journey started as an artist, then transitioned into the marketing world. Check this out. Welcome to the show, Eric. It's so great to have you. Tony, it's a pleasure to be on today. I'm excited to uh, dive into the conversation. Me too. And Eric, I'm really going to enjoy this because I am a marketer. I've come from marketing. I've written a book on it or two. And you've taken it way out into outer space. We're going to talk about that. So I am really excited to jump in this. But first things first, Eric, I'd love to know, how did it all start for you? What's your backstory? Well, you know, as we talked a minute ago, Tony, I am a bit of a renaissance man. So my original passion in life and the direction that I wanted to go with my career was to be a full-time artist and sculptor. And I had the pleasure of actually getting to do that, which is is rare. Most people don't have that ability to do. So I got to be a full-time artist. I was a sculptor. I was a college professor for a little while and enjoyed that very much. And then my wife and I uh, started having kids. And my when I had my first son, I had a consulting role along with being a full-time artist. And I got to travel a lot. And so my wife and I started chatting one day, and she was coming with me on these trips with my newborn son. And we were like, man, it is tough to travel with a little kid. And we had this idea to start an e-commerce business that helped people travel with kids. And I initially thought that this would be kind of a side project that I'd do just as a hobby. And uh, lo and behold, I really dove all the way into it and really enjoyed 
the online marketing side of that business. And I ended up launching an e-commerce business. It was called babysafetravel.com. And it, you know, it, it became relatively successful. It wasn't, you know, a huge success, but you know, I was generating some revenue and, and it was becoming my full-time job and I was just blown away by it. But it did have inventory that I had to manage and I had no experience in this. So I really didn't know how to buy and manage inventory. So I ended up way over buying on most of my inventory and spending uh, all of my profits reinvested in inventory, which probably wasn't a terrible idea. But when we got pregnant with twins and, uh, and needed money fast, having all this inventory wasn't helping my, uh, my financial future. So my wife said she was going to become a stay-at-home mom and I need to replace her income in a hurry. And so I said, well, geez, I really enjoy the online marketing piece. I've learned SEO over the last couple of years building this e-commerce business. And maybe I've got some uh, folks in my life who would be interested in learning how to drive traffic to a website and selling products or selling services. And so that's what I did. I started taking on clients and running the e-commerce business. And I did both simultaneously for a number of years until eventually the consulting and marketing agency, Globerunner, you know, which is obviously what it's become, became you know, something much bigger. Uh, and I decided to uh, shut down the e-commerce business and focus completely on the digital marketing agency. And so that's how I got into this business. And now we have four kids. So, uh, you know, continue to grow the family. Eric, I would love to know from your point of view, as you've been through the School of Hard Knocks, you've been through this for years and years and years. Can you tell us what's the digital marketing landscape like these days? Yeah, well, Tony, that's a really interesting question. And it has changed a lot. I've been in this industry for over 10 years now. And, you know, back in 2008, when I started, it was a very different landscape. You look at SEO specifically and you know, Google's algorithm was much more simplistic. It was more about binary manipulation of some very straightforward factors. You know, how many links do we have to a website? Did it have the right anchor text? Were the right keywords on the page? Did we have all the right meta description in there? And while all those things are still relevant, the algorithm is no longer a yes-no decision-making engine. Now we're really dealing with an artificial intelligence called RankBrain, which is one of their top three ranking factors. So we're not trying to manipulate factors that are, are weighted into an algorithm. Now we're trying to convince an artificial intelligence that we have the most authoritative article on a particular subject. So it's a totally different way of thinking about SEO. It's been fascinating to work on, but it, it's a very different game. And then, you know, we can look at that on the paid search side, right? So Google's AdWords platform has changed a lot. It, the gold rush of AdWords, I think, is over. I don't think that people are going to find the you know, massive amounts of cheap traffic that was once there because the market has come in and balanced the equation. Now, with that said, folks that are willing to invest the time and energy and resources into building a really competitive, targeted AdWords campaign can still do incredibly well. And we manage clients' AdWords budgets every day and make, you know, fortunes on AdWords, but it's not the cheap traffic it used to be. Social changed radically as well. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, obviously part of Facebook, have all realized that they have to monetize their traffic. And so, you know, cheap organic reach and that mythical viral button that everybody talked about so much when social came out, while it's still there, it's much more of a pay-to-play model. We we really need to be focusing on how do we use social and social advertising 
to generate targeted visitors who are, who are truly interested in my product, you know, we don't play the like game anymore. I think back in the day, people were like, how many likes do you have? How many followers do you have on Twitter? I think everybody's realized that those numbers are, are somewhat fake and meaningless. It's, it's more about audience engagement, obviously important, but truly, I'm, most of my clients are interested in direct response. Did we get a lead? Did we sell a product? Did we you know, capture a quality email address? These are the metrics that people are looking at today. So I think we've gotten more sophisticated about how we market. I think the market itself, the platforms that uh, we use to market on, whether that be Google, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, et cetera, they become more aware about how they're going to monetize, how they're going to go into the market. So we've seen it shift a, shift a lot, but frankly, that's what keeps us in business. The fact that the market changes so much is the reason that clients engage us to keep them ahead of the curve and make changes and adjust with the digital marketing landscape rather than reacting after their competition has already beat them. Oh, absolutely. I've seen it change so many times. It's just innumerable. And yet there are still people that will pay $30, $40, $50 for top position or near top position in like Google AdWords, for example, but they know what they're doing. They've got the right funnel. They've got their upsells or what have you. But I think that is a very sophisticated purchase for the educated, intelligent client. Most people that have a book or have some services or have some products, it's too much work for them to figure something out like that. And while they can figure it out, they're smart enough to figure it out. It can take so long, their business may go under. So as I see it, there is where your company, Globe Runner, GlobeRunner.com, that's where you come in to help these companies and help them grow. So far, so good. Is that correct? You're spot on, Tony. Yep. All right. Good. And now your company, as I understand it, Eric, you've taken it to a different level because your tagline, when I first knew that I was going to interview, I looked at your tagline. It immediately piqued my interest. Your tagline is rocket fuel for your business. So I've got to ask you, Eric, what is rocket fuel when it comes to making one's brand unique? Well, that's a great question. So, you know, we, we see ourselves as rocket fuel, right? We're, we have our five values, our sixth value, which is kind of the icing on the cake is be the spark, right? So we want to ignite the fuel. We want to be the spark. We want to be the energy that drives a business into outer space, right? And we do that through our unique blend, and we have a proprietary brand blend of digital marketing services. And, you know, how those services are implemented vary per client, but in general, we have a methodology that works and is very successful. So we see the client as the rocket ship. They're the ship. They've got, a, you know, an awesome product, an awesome service that's ready to launch. You know, we bring the fuel to the table and we bring the spark and we launch them into space. I like that a lot. You are the rocket fuel for the client. <laughs> That's exactly good. right. Okay, thank you for explaining that. This is the Tony D'Urso Show. Just ahead, the chat continues with Eric McGarity. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. We don't follow. 
we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. Hey guys, the world just got cooler, or should I say neater, N-E-A-T. Do you have a small business, pay taxes, or need to record your expenses? Isn't that everybody in the world today? It's always been nearly impossible to be perfect on all record keeping. And now, here's Neat at neat.com slash Tony. It's a software that's used by small business to better manage expenses and spending. First, they provide small businesses, accountants, bookkeepers, a cloud-based expense and document management system. You can scan your receipts, such as gas receipts, for example, or have it scan and pull receipts and invoices from your email. Neat. Yep, it integrates with your accountant accounting system like QuickBooks. Neat. Imagine never losing an expense and maximizing all your available deductions. Neat. If you have a business or work for anyone, you'll love the benefits Neat has. I do. Actually, anyone who has a lot of monthly business expenses would love this, such as independent consultants, small business owners, those with side gigs such as Etsy or Lyft Uber drivers and so forth. And it's a low-cost solution. And don't forget, disaster-proof because it's cloud-based. Neat. That saves a lot of time. This is a great way to make your tax preps even easier. Audit-proof your business. Capture and store critical documents in the cloud with bank-level security. Neat. Save time. Eliminate those onerous bookkeeping tasks so you can focus on growth. Neat. And I'll make it simpler. Get it for 30 days free. Check out neat.com slash Tony for your 30-day free trial. N-E-A-T dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Neat.com slash Tony. You heard that a majority of businesses fail. Don't be a statistic. Get my book free, The Vision Map. Beat the odds for your business success. Get it free at TonyDurso.com slash vision. And set up your own successful vision map. TonyDurso.com slash vision. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. This is the Voice America Influencers Channel. Be inspired. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. We'd love to hear from you via email. Be sure to send questions and comments to Tony at TonyD'Urso.com. Now, back to Tony and his guests. All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso Show. This segment of today's show is with Eric McGarrity. Eric is also the founder of the family travel website, BabySafeTravel.com, a consultant to national nonprofits, an advocate for people with learning disabilities, and an award-winning sculptor whose work has been exhibited across the United States. 
He's featured in Forbes, Killer Startups, The Business Journal, Denton Record Chronicle, and Dallas Morning News. All right, and now back to the chat with Eric. I know we talked about this, but and it does change so much. I, again, value your comments on where do you see the future? Are you able to tell is, or does it move so much in terms of social media and what's up on the horizon? I would love it if you could enlighten us with any insights you may have on that. Yeah, you know, I think I think things are shifting quite a bit. One thing I've been paying a lot of attention to recently is Amazon, and I mean, that should come as no surprise. I do see over the last several years, e-commerce has shifted radically. Amazon has taken on a huge place in the e-commerce marketplace, and it's it's become so convenient. Bezos and his mantra of removing friction from the transaction has been key to that. So I think that their influence on e-commerce will, will have a massive influence on e-commerce. From the search landscape, we deal with a lot of folks that want to do business locally, right? So retail businesses, uh, local service businesses. And we do see that Google is treating local search very different. I have noticed, as I mentioned earlier, that digital marketing is much more of a pay-to-play market. So a lot of dollars are shifting from organic to paid search. A lot of dollars are shifting from organic social to paid social. So we're seeing that as well. And people really, the platforms that are selling the ad space are really realizing the value that they have and they're capitalizing on it. You know, Google, they've, they've introduced their new ads. They've moved from having, you know, 10 ads on the side that you ignored and a few small ads at the top to having four really huge ads at the top. And they take up, you know, 90% of the space above the fold. So, you know, Google's whole mantra that we will, you know, we're not going to sell rankings. Well, yeah, you won't sell rankings. You'll just sell everything somebody sees before they scroll down. They're monetizing it and learn how to monetize it more and more. And above that fold that, yeah, I I can see that that already tells us that the call to action for anybody in any business, if you've got something too important to sell, put it up there front and center on top, because that's going to be where the people are going to migrate to first. That's right. And I see this trend continue. I mean, we'll see, you know, follow the money and that's where it always goes. So we'll, I think we'll see the monetization aspect continue. I also think that, you know, it, it should also come as no surprise. Artificial intelligence will become a much bigger piece of this whole play. I think that companies that want to do really well will probably start leveraging AI in some way, shape or form. The way we see that coming out in 2018, 19, 20 is through customer service. I think a lot more of our customer service interactions will be done through AI, and that'll be a really interesting shift, but that'll, that'll migrate over time and dive into other markets. So, you know, this goes way beyond just digital marketing, but just from a meta point of view, we as people in the marketplace, our value add is going to be towards creativity. Right. So creativity, I think, is going to be the number one job skill going forward. And, you know, I've, of course, highly value creativity. You've heard me mention that, you know, I'm an artist uh, at heart. And so, you know, I do think that this, this idea of being able to be creative will become our defining difference. And a lot of the task that we do right now, like customer service, will be taken over by AI. Digital marketing will fall into the same camp. And a lot of what we do in digital marketing will be, you know, either doing things to please an AI, like we already do with SEO, 
or um, using AI to market for our clients. So I think that'll be an enormous shift over the next couple of years that we'll see in the marketplace, much like the industrial revolution, we'll have the artificial intelligence revolution. And it's going to radically change the entire job market over the next decade. So true, Eric. And most of us don't even know to what level we're dealing with AI in our social media and in our interface with websites and so forth. I can totally see AI coming as a as a plug-in for this type of a website service and this type of a product, and it's just going to the functionality is going to change so much. It's really interesting to see what the future is going to be. I know one thing in our conversation, and I don't even know why, but you made me think of when the internet was more young. Let's say back then there was that hesitancy to purchase something online. You know, people would rather go into a store and see and touch and feel the product as opposed to ordering it online. Well, that whole thing, that whole methodology, that whole modus operandi has shifted so much that when I see people wanting to make a purchase these days, friends and so forth, they would rather buy online than drive into the store and get it because they have free shipping or whatever. And it's just the ease and simplicity of online has been so strong it's like it's it's the culture and we see these machines and ai type stores and retail outlets coming while i think they're going to shrink it it's quite something to see what's the future going to hold in terms of retail well there's still going to be some it's going to completely diminish over the years that's for sure Oh, absolutely. I have uh, clients, and one of my clients, particularly, we talk about this every year, and it becomes a bigger and bigger problem for them. You know, they're a fashion store, and they get, we call it, you know, this term, I don't think this term existed before recently, but they get showroomed. And so folks come in, literally walk into the store, try on the dresses, and then order it online. And it's the strangest thing. Even if it's the exact same price, they literally will order it online while they're standing in the store. Eric, I want you to know, full disclosure, my wife has never done that. <laughs> Not true. I, I know, but that's just it. It's like, what is it? There's this culture now that I must buy online, like we're hypnotized or something. Oh. Because it's right there in the store. Well, I don't like that size. I know online there's a different color and perhaps a better size or a, a slightly smaller size or what have you. It's just like this gravitational pull. Well, you know, to be frank, I do it all the time, personally, um, and, and not to be rude, but I do. I was in uh, Target the other day with my boys, and they wanted this particular Nerf gun, and I saw the Nerf gun. It was $30, and I, you know, looked at it, and I was like, oh, geez, $30 for a Nerf gun. I clicked open my Amazon app, looked at it, and they had it for $22. I was like, huh, I'm saving the 8 bucks. <laughs> and uh, I told my son, I was like, well, it got on Amazon for $22. We could save $8. And he was like, oh, okay. And so, you know, I saved the money and we walked out of the store and I got the Nerf gun the next day and everybody was happy. So I was going to say, plus you're on Prime, it's free shipping. You'll have it next day. So bada boom. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I do that all the time. You know, I might buy my produce at the store, but that's about it. <laughs> and even that, my wife gets delivered to the house these days from Kroger Checkout. Yep. I see it. I see it now. More and more trucks delivering fresh daily produce to homes. It's like, who would have thought that that could have been a business, a profitable and viable business? And yet here it is. I'm absolutely impressed at what the future yep. is doing. 
Well, and that's one of the conversations I'm having. I don't, we haven't talked about this yet, but I have a, uh, a new show coming out on Amazon Prime called The Curious Entrepreneur. And I've been interviewing entrepreneurs and talking to them about you know their businesses, how they grew it, and also where they see the market going. And it's been fascinating to have these really deep conversations with entrepreneurs and and get some of these incredibly intelligent people thinking about the market and their business and how they've grown it and then how it how it might be affected in the future. I like that. Would you share again with us how to access your show? Yeah, so it's called The Curious Entrepreneur. It's coming out on Amazon Prime. So if you're a Prime member on Amazon, you can watch it for free streaming through Amazon Prime Video. And you can get, obviously, the Prime app or through your computer or on your smart device, however you might access this, your streaming services. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be free included in your, in your account. So it's a you know, 25-minute, 30-minute show broadcast quality show, interviewing an entrepreneur. Each episode, I interview one entrepreneur and go deep on their story and have a really you know, open, honest conversation about how they built their business and uh, where they see their business going. I like that. That's what I do, and I love it. Can we find out more about it? Well, first of all, is there any link on that to your current site, globerunner.com? Yeah, so by the time this show airs, uh, you should be able to find out more at CuriousEntrepreneur.com. And then it should also, by the time the show airs, be on Amazon Prime available for streaming. Perfect. And Eric, if someone wants to reach you, chat with you, say something, check out your services, they can do that at GlobeRunner.com? GlobeRunner.com. That's the best way to find me. I love it. Well, Eric, thank you so much for sharing this time with us and giving us your insights on digital marketing and e-commerce a little bit and the future of social media. Absolutely love it. And please, when you have a great update, maybe when your show comes out and you're rocking, I'd love to have you back on for an update. Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate it. Enjoyed the time and the conversation. Always enjoy talking about the future of uh, digital marketing and, and technology and how that's going to affect us. It's something I spend a lot of my day thinking about and really enjoy it. Well, thank you once again, Eric McGarity, the CEO of GlobeRunner at GlobeRunner.com. Eric, an honor and a privilege to have you on my show. Thank you so much. Thank you. And for my amazing audience, thanks so much for listening. Remember, success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Be righteous. Join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Urso Show. We hope you've enjoyed this week's edition of the Tony D'Urso Show with his key influencers. Be sure to tune in again next Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. 